Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm honored to be joined by Craig Ehrlich, Lead Independent Director of Barty Airtel, the world's fourth largest telecom company, and also chair of the UCLA Foundation. Additionally, he is chairman and co-founder of Novari Technologies Incorporated, an onshoring and outsourcing software development company based in Hong Kong that serves clients around Asia. He has sat on public boards in Hong Kong, Israel, India, the Philippines, and the United States. Craig is also former chair and founding member of the Center for Global Management at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Craig graduated from UCLA in 1978 with a BA in political science and later earned a master's degree in urban affairs from Occidental College. He also completed a postgraduate fellowship with the Coro Foundation. Craig, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you, glad to be here. So to start us off, um, I know that you joined the UCLA Foundation Board as a member in 2015. What inspired you to give back in this capacity and become a part of this UCLA board? And I'm also curious if you ever envisioned yourself as chair someday. Well, I have a bit of a strange response to that. Uh, despite living in Hong Kong for almost uh, 30 years, uh, I maintained a relationship with UCLA and a philanthropic relationship in particular. I think my love of UCLA is, is not as simple as I graduated from UCLA, but I was student body president. And it was probably one of the most exciting, fun and uh, challenging years of my life, even as I've now lived a full life. Uh, I go back to what I learned during my year at student body president. And so I've maintained uh, a bit of a relationship throughout my, my life. But as I mentioned, even living abroad for over 30 years, um, it was still a place that meant a lot to me. And um, I won't take a lot of time to go through all the things that I've done philanthropically, but the one that, that I, I'm most proud of is uh, in memory of my mother. And I established a, a scholarship for young women who went to public schools. Uh, first, we tried to find a school that my mother had gone to, which is Fairfax High School in Los Angeles. And then it was any uh, Los Angeles public school and then any public school in California. And we now have given scholarships to over 71 young ladies. Um, many of them now are in their early 30s. They're, they're on their way, they're partners in law firms and they've been in Peace Corps and met. We have many doctors and we have many teachers. And uh, so it's come full circle. But that, that is kind of the connection I held even while I was living abroad. Um, and in addition, uh, our last two chancellors, including uh, Chancellor Block, our current chancellor, um, I was always helping them on an international basis, uh, introducing them to people in Asia. So my connections continued. So now to get to the specifics of your question, when I was approached to join the UCLA Foundation, the question for me was, I, I was already doing a lot of things, including the Center for Global Management and the Business School while continuing to live abroad. So to me, the question was by joining the foundation, was I taking on more than I really needed to take on? Because I was very happy doing all the different things I was doing on campus. In the end, I accepted because I saw it as a way to kind of help me um, continue with my agenda 
at UCLA, using the word agenda in the best sense of the word. Right. Um, and because people do look at the foundation as this overarching uh, entity that works with so many areas of the campus. Um, it's been a great delight to have joined the foundation uh, five years ago. Uh, did I ever see myself becoming chair? Certainly not in the very beginning, but right. um, if you look at my background, uh, whether it's uh, in the private sector or for nonprofits, uh, if I join something, I take it very seriously and I wanna have an impact. And quite often that leads to leadership positions. So I guess the, the, the final piece of that is within a year or two, uh, and I was quickly asked to join the executive committee of the foundation, it became very clear to me that being chairman uh, or being chair was a possibility and something that um, if the circumstances were right, of course, I would be up for the challenge. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I think that's amazing to hear about your maintaining those connections, that relationship with UCLA, even being abroad. Um, and I was going to, you know, mention or bring up that um, scholarship fund you mentioned in honor of your mother. And so that's amazing to hear, like you said, how many women have benefited from that and are, you know, thriving um, in their careers. That's wonderful. So going back in time, um, as a political science student at UCLA, how did you start to figure out what you wanted to do after you graduated or what significant experiences did you have that have led you to your accomplished career in telecom? Well, the telecoms part was probably a bit of an accident. <laughs> um, and and when, when I mentor all, all of the young ladies who've been through my scholarship and through the Coral Foundation of which I'm, I'm active, you know, some of the things I talk about is that each of us are a brand. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that we build the brand continuously and everybody's brand is different. So it isn't that the exact template that I used for myself is applicable to anybody else, but broadly, you know, building a brand means things like learning multiple languages. You know, obviously that was very clear to me once I lived abroad that so many people in the world speak two to three different languages. And when I started moving abroad, Americans, for the most part, didn't speak more than one language with some here in California, of course, speaking Spanish, um, but most people didn't. And, and that I think has begun to evolve. I think Americans now, at least on the coasts, East and West Coast, and those who are interested in multicultural uh, issues, uh, realize uh, that speaking more than one language is helpful. In fact, it's probably the biggest mistake though immigrant families make when they move to the United States and it's been that way for 50 or 80 years is that they, they want their children to assimilate and speak only English. But the mistake is that our world now, uh, despite the last four years of Mr. Trump, uh, we're a very global world now. And certainly those of us in California are extraordinarily global but I would say many parts of the United States are global. So speaking multiple languages, making sure your child um, speaks English, but also speaks either their, their, the language of their parents or whatever secondary or, or third language they might have. So that's an example of building the brand, traveling, uh, interning, um, you know, just getting out in the world is how you build your brand. So I have been doing that. I did that all my life and I don't know why, but 
but I, I, I tended to do that from a very young teenage age. Again, being student body president of my public school, uh, learning to deal with multicultural uh, situations very early on in my life, yeah. uh, working for Mayor Tom Bradley, even though I was working full, uh, going to school full time at UCLA. So these were adding to, to things that I thought would be important later in my life. And I always thought that I'd end up in public service, whether that yeah. meant political office or just being in, in, in public service. I didn't know and it didn't matter because I was just continuously trying to add uh, features to my brand. Um, and and the, the telecoms part, literally I fell into it after my Coral Foundation Fellowship. One of the, the fellowship or internships I had as a Coral Fellow was working in the nascent cable TV industry. And okay. so that was my first introduction to the media, to telecommunications, and then it just mushroomed from there. Got it. Yeah, I love that point about, like you said, building your own brand. And I think that's such an important thing, of course, to think about, especially nowadays, and not comparing yourself to others. Just as you said, like we all have different things that we're passionate about and different experiences. Um, and I love what you mentioned too about language skills and having that global understanding and perspective, because I, I totally agree. I think that's the need for that is only going to increase as time goes on. Um, but yeah, well, I think it's- It's a little danger, uh, not dangerous, wrong word, but um, I, I agree with you in that we all get caught up comparing ourselves too often. Right. But I think in a, in a real world, you have to be aware of what other people are doing. Sure. And in a professional sense, I'll go back to my language skills. I mean, many of my, my the ladies who, who are scholars or former scholars, um, you know, they're so smart and they've gone into medicine and law and all that. So I always give the example, well, there, there's two people in a law firm. They both may have gone to the best schools in the country, but in the end, somebody in the law firm is gonna say, well, who speaks Chinese? or who speaks French or who speaks Spanish, right. one of them does and one of them doesn't. It doesn't matter where you went to law school anymore. You know, it doesn't matter how smart you are here or there. It's the fact that somebody else had that extra feature as part of their brand that's gonna make the difference when they are competing. So you are competing for jobs, you're competing in your career, you're competing wherever, whether again, yeah. private sector, nonprofit, so you need to add features to your brand. Yeah, love that. I absolutely agree. So with all that you've accomplished in your career since leaving UCLA, um, we of course still know that new experiences can produce new knowledge. How do you continue to find and pursue new experiences in work that you're passionate about? Well, again, there's no perfect answer. All of us sure. are different. Some of us love uh, depending on generation, you know, still love to read newspapers and magazines. Um, but most of the generation beneath me um, is learning, you know, and being educated online with all kinds of sites, um, all kinds of apps. And to me, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm, I still cross both generations because I know that the people uh, below me generationally are doing it in a different way and I need to be aware of what they're aware of. So I make the, the extra effort to, to move in a direction that let's say I'm not super comfortable in. 
I advocate to my young 15 year old that she also look at the newspaper headlines. I say, you don't need to read the newspaper. You don't need to read magazines, but at least look at the headline, understand what's coming out of that media versus where you're learning so much from Instagram and Snap and right. TikTok, where <laughs> younger people, you know, 35 and younger get a lot of their information. So I think it's critical that we push ourselves out of our comfort zone as much as possible. Again, this broadly comes back to building the brand. Building our base of information should not be from the, the, the things that we always agree with. It, it, it's interesting that in the last, well, in the last 10 or 15 years, I tried to listen to a lot of very conservative radio. Um, I have been paying attention more to Fox News website, not because that's my political affiliation, it is not, but because it's important that I understand where people come from. We're not, we're not talking about the nutcases. You know, we're not talking about the conspiracy theorists. It is important we know what's out there. Right. I don't spend much time worrying about those people, even sure. though it's a, you know, it is something that all of us need to be aware of. Yeah. But I'm always fascinated to understand the other person's point of view. And they may be much more conservative than me. They may come from a different part of the country. Uh, they may never have lived abroad like I have for most of my professional life. So it's important that I understand how they think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that point um, of just, like you said, kind of getting out of our own, you know, world and perspective in the box that we, you know, are all in to once again, you know, make sure we're taking an inventory and we have awareness of what's going on and looking at those headlines. Um, and like you said, being aware, once again, and at least informed of, you know, differing points of view. That's why, right, UCLA is such an amazing place to get an education. You're, you're learning amongst people from all, all over the globe and getting, you know, different perspectives, thoughts, viewpoints that I think can absolutely shape just your understanding and even, you know, how you go about life. And, and from an American perspective, um, uh, which I have to put on my domestic hat on here, you know, <laughs> there's, there's 70 plus million people who voted another way right. than our new president and the Democratic Party. Right. And, you know, to reduce that to all um, it, this fringe element would be a mistake. There are people there who voted for the other side primarily for tax policy, for uh, their own self-interest. Now, I may still have an, a disagreement with people who are so self-centered, sure. but, but it's important that we realize not 70 million people are fringe people, that there are some productive, smart, you know, moderate people who may believe very differently than me. I, I wanna understand that. So um, it, it's important that we make the effort and it is an effort. It is hard to do to get out of your comfortable zone of listening to, you know, very progressive people or maybe left yeah. of center people or slightly center right of people. But to go much further, you know, is, is an effort. But I think it makes me a better business person, a better sure. professional. Uh, it's important for whatever career you decide uh, to go into. Yeah, that's great advice. I totally agree. So 
Um, with your career and thinking about the growth of opportunities in the technology, media, startup space, we know how important both hard skills and the soft skills or kind of those transferable skills are to be successful in the workplace. Um, the National Association of Colleges and Employers surveys thousands of employers every year asking what the top skills are they look for in new hires. And the top two as of last year were problem solving skills and the ability to work in a team. Can you share your thoughts on the value of having a balance of both those technical skills and the soft skills or critical thinking skills in today's world? Um, I don't know if I can, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think there's so much in the question you just asked. Um, I'm going to come at it slightly differently. Sure. I, I, I think the area that I don't see enough of is in the area of leadership leadership okay. skills let me yep. put it that way not everybody needs to be a leader but having leadership skills which then incorporates you know problem solving and yes. some of the things you just asked about Absolutely. are very important and i think at ucla it's something that i've been pushing i've been actually funding a, a program with the coral foundation to teach uh, student government leaders how to use their leadership role in a constructive way. And I think those skills are critically important. Again, it would not matter whether you're a marketing person, a software engineer, you know, there are some people whose whole life, they just wanna go into a little cupboard, you know, and, 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 and code or, or totally make decisions, you know, right in front of them. That's fine, God bless them. But, you know, for most people, I think we're more interactive. Uh, we're, we're in professions where we deal with people. And so I think trying to figure out how to be, how to establish these leadership skills are going to be critically important for competing for jobs, for getting jobs, competing against the next person, for moving up the ladder, whatever that ladder is. Again, that can be in the, in the, in the nonprofit sector as well as the profit sector. So I think, I, I think people ought to spend more time thinking about leadership skills, but leadership skills doesn't mean everybody should go out and, and look at every TED talk um, and, and, and buy every podcast that has to do with um, uh, some of these guys that I think are kind of more like evangelical. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're out there. Yeah. They've never held a job themselves. They've never, you know, they've built their whole career on telling everybody else what to do. So I'm not, I'm not going that far. Sure. Uh, but leadership skills are critically important to whatever you want to do in your next step in life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I, I definitely think there needs to be more opportunities for, like you're saying, that program you were mentioning, kind of starting up with Coro and different programs like that, that allow for, you know, some core leadership development opportunities and allowing people to look at, you know, if you're in these different experiences, you're doing these different things these are the leadership skills or the things you can be doing to enhance your skill set to make you a better professional down the line or make you a better, you know, person, partner, leader, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I think leadership skills absolutely are, are critical. But by the way, that's, it's a challenge to get, you know, the number one public university in America, UCLA, right. um, which is a research institution and one of the finest in the world um, to buy off on this. But it's, it, is, it is moving in the right direction. If you go to the business school, you go to the law school, you go to the public policy school, 
um, you go to the Graduate School of Education, um, they are, and even the engineering school, I don't know enough about our medical, you know, um, school, sure. et cetera, but they are moving more into practical application of yeah. education. Um, I do not think we should move away from being a great research institution, but at the same time, we need to combine that with getting more practical experience and, and teaching, uh, teaching doctors how to be better leaders, teaching nurses how to be better leaders, uh, teaching lawyers how to do more than just know the law. Right, yeah, absolutely. So from your bio, and I know you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier in our conversation that you were student body president at UCLA and it was, you know, had a profound impact on your life. If you were to put yourself in the shoes of UCLA's current student body president, what campus community issues would be top of mind for you? Wow, that's a tough one because <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to get to the student level to know exactly what the issues are that are challenging. Um, what might be interesting is I can tell you, I'll try and remember, there are two or three issues that I dealt with when I was student body president. Yeah, okay. And, and one of them was dealing with admissions policy because we were coming off a, a major Supreme Court decision on uh, minorities uh, having certain uh, ability to get into the UC system. And uh, that's been in the news recently. So yeah. ironically, that same issue is out there today. Um, I was very much into both the environment and health. So I was able to ban smoking and all the facilities on campus wow. to ban floral carbons that were still being used in selling of products in the student store. So those issues, the, those broad issues yeah. exist today. But of course, you know, we talk more about maybe climate, we, we prefer, we refer to it as climate change. Sure. Um, I was not taking on the world's issues. I was taking on the issues that I thought were applicable to students. You know, and that goes to my philosophy that all politics in a sense are local. So for me, if I were student body president, I don't know that I would make climate change my major issue. Not because I don't believe it's a big issue, but because I'm interested in impacting students on campus. And I think that's always been an issue for student leaders. Um, there are uh, some exceptions like the uh, Vietnam War, which was before my time, but how students played a major role in making change like that. I just think you have to, as, as a student leader, you have to balance what's right before you, the issues that are right on campus, as well as global issues that you could argue do impact um, br the broad base of, of students and faculty that exist at UCLA. So you, ha you have to mix it. Yeah, definitely. And that's fascinating to hear how issues and challenges that you dealt with during your term as student body president, you know, are still, you know, societal issues that we're working through today and still navigating to see where things have gone. Um, and I love what you said about um, all politics being local and looking at, like you said, where you're at in that context and how it's impacting, you know, the UCLA students and campus community and being able to start from there versus, you know, taking on, of course, a, a huge challenge. Well, UCLA is a microcosm of, of the city of Los Angeles. It's a microcosm of right. the state of California and to some extent a microcosm of the United States. Um, and so the issues, this is why 
I was not a history major, but history is so important. All of our parents will, you know, the, the cliche is history repeats itself. And as you get older, you just say, wow, that is the one cliche that is 101% yes. accurate. So, totally. so we had the Vietnam War again before my time in the 60s, but we've had the Af uh, Afga Afghan War, the Iraqi War, the Kuwait, you know, all of these in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, the issues of uh, colonialism, uh, the issues of should, how much should we interfere in other countries' human rights. I mean, these are issues that have never been fully solved and they go through ebbs and flows. So it is, it is relevant what the issues were in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, et cetera, for today. And to try and pick and choose what, what worked then that might work now and what didn't work and maybe not repeat the failures. And I think that that's the biggest issue and challenge I had over the last four years is that the that administration just repeated things that didn't work. And we should have known better, whether you're conservative or liberal, they were just not they were just not um, solutions that have worked at any time in our society. Right. Yeah, definitely. So in your profound career thus far, what's been your proudest accomplishment to date? And then I'm also wondering, is there still something you have on your goal list that you would like to accomplish? Well, that's such a noble question. And I don't <laughs> think I can, you know, I, I'm not that noble of a person to be able to, you know, my, my career is probably not profound to anybody, but my mother, if she were still alive, you know, when I when I was young, she was very proud of me, and I take great pride in that. Sure. Um, I, I think that it's part of probably my religious background. Uh, it's part of um, my being a product of public schools my entire life, other than my master's degree at Oxy, um, and that's to always give back, always to do something for society not, I mean, it's all right, we can have our own self-interest, that's, that's kind of human nature, nothing wrong with that, but that should not overwhelm that we're here to give to other people, we're here to give back, we're here to make a contribution, and whether that's in a philanthropic way, I have donated a lot of money, but to me that's not my greatest contribution. My greatest contribution probably is mentoring 71 women um, who the older ones are now personal friends, the younger ones, that's a different type of relationship. So I would say from my professional career, uh, I, I don't talk about that, but I do talk about you know, the, the career, if that's the right term, for what I've done in, in giving back and, and mentoring um, others. I, I do, you know, when I leave this world, I, I do hope the, the other cliche is I wanna leave it slightly better um, yeah. and, and I'm disappointed that I won't be able to leave it much better but that comes with age when you're younger you think you can change the world and what you can probably change is yourself the people around you you can add to them your family your friends uh, you can make inroads but if millions of people are doing that then it actually becomes a very sizable um, uh, piece of uh, contribution to the world. Right. Yeah, I think that's something really meaningful to think about, especially for, you know, students listening or especially like young alumni, recent graduates to think about, you know, 
work is such a huge part of our lives, but there's so much more to our lives outside of that. And finding those things that allow you to, you know, find meaning and fulfillment in different ways that, like you said, you know, it's not those, the professional awards or accomplishments that stands out to you. It's the, you know, philanthropic and social impact work that you've done that have changed people's lives and been able to, you know, maintain those relationships and seeing how, you know, you had one piece, one little step on someone's journey. I think um, it's inspiring to see for sure. Well, getting to your point, I think it's easier for me to say, what are one of my regrets? And my regret, and I'm, okay, yeah. I, I'm happy to share this because, you know, if, if people younger than I are, are, yeah. are still in that position, right. my, my regret is, is one that people hear all the time, and that's balance of life. Um, there are times when we're so focused on our professional careers, again, profit or nonprofit, doesn't matter sure. what your focus is. Um, we get so enamored and uh, inspired by our professional career. Um, and, and sometimes we just get overwhelmed because the workload is so big and we're working so many hours if you're a doctor, a nurse, et cetera. Um, so there are times when you may not be able to either contribute your time or your money to all these things we talked about previously, but stay engaged intellectually and mentally as much as you can because you know, that two years where you're so busy, you may then have a drop of 10% of your time. So keeping it alive in your mind, don't feel guilty that maybe for that six months, that year, that three-year period of your life, you're not doing as much as you'd like, but keep emotionally and mentally prepared that you will convert that. That's always a challenge um, to, to balance these kinds of things, but just have it in your heart, have it in your mind that that is something you're going to work on as much as you can. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's funny, it definitely resonates with, with me um, just as of lately, because I've, I've found that, you know, over the last few years, I haven't been able to be as involved in certain organizations that, you know, I used to early on or in college and, and had the time to volunteer and do different things during graduate school. And I'm now at a place where I was, you know, looking at some different organizations and I filled out a form the other day to be a mentor and I was like oh I have I'm seeing space now in my life where I can carve out and you know give the time and energy I want to give to these organizations and be able to have something outside of work that I'm allowed to you know that I'm able to give back and support you know the next generation and career success and things like that and so definitely resonates with me great so my final question for you is since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success? Um, well, success is such a both misused word. Uh, it's a broad-based word and it's very personal because Katie, your success um, and how your family views it, how you view it, may be very differently than how I view it. Right. Uh, and that's impacted by things of your ethnic background, your religious background, your career background, um, you know, so many things. So it's very hard to generally respond to that other than to say, and I've, I've already talked about this in, in this podcast, is I, I'm heavily influenced again by my by my two parents. Uh, my mother was a UCLA grad, which is great. Um, my father went to the other school, but he didn't graduate, so that's okay. Um, 
but they, they gave me a very strong set of ethics, um, uh, integrity, and my religious background, I, I've referred to that a few times. I'm not highly religious, but I'm culturally quite religious or culturally quite strong. Um, everything that I learned was about giving back, uh, was, out, was about integrity and why we're here. So for me, I don't know if I'll ever say I've reached the pinnacle of success in, in that area because there's always something to do. But as I look back at my professional career, which is not over yet, uh, though I've slowed down a bit, um, I, I guess people would call it successful and it's nice to hear, uh, but it's just who I am. I, I, I never get to the point where I sit there and go, yeah, I had a great successful career. Aren't I wonderful? Because there's so many other things that I haven't done. Um, I'm very self-aware that there's certain things that I didn't do as well as I had hoped. There were certain deals that I didn't make in my career that I wish I had made. Um, so it's a balance. Everything in life is a balance. You, you, you don't want to be so tough on yourself that you've never reached that point where you say, wow, you know, I feel pretty good about what I've done. On the other hand, um, there's so many there's so many other things that are worthy in life to do that um, you know success to me is is making sure that we've we've done as much as we can do. Yeah, I I, I totally echo everything you said and how individualistic and you know personal the idea of success and even you sharing it's definitely a misused word and very broad. Um, I totally agree, and I think like you said. It, it really depends on so much about a person's life and, you know, how they were raised and different things. Like you said, they were taught, you were instilled with a set of, you know, ethics and values that has shaped how you live your life. And that is, I think that is a huge factor for how we view success and what, you know, what, what allows us to feel like, oh yes, I, you know, I did that well. And, or that was a win. Um, and balancing, like you said, balancing those moments of being self-aware, knowing, oh, I could have done this better, but also being able to feel proud of the, of the things you have done and continue to kind of, you know, chip away at maybe those goals that you've set for yourself. It's a challenge every day. And, and I think if you don't feel every day is a challenge, then you're, you're, you're not living up to your potential. And, and, and and we, we all, we rarely live up to our potential. Maybe some right. of the greatest singers, right. the greatest athletes of the world, the greatest um, engineers of the world, uh, maybe some of them do. But for most of us, we, we underperform. And, and um, that drives me every day yeah. that there's always something I can do that's better uh, or I can replicate something that I know was done pretty, pretty well. Um, I, I, I need to continue to do it. So that, that always inspires me every morning. Yeah. I, I love that mentality. And I, I, I feel similarly, I always think to myself, like, you know, you look back, I reflect a lot of just things I've done in, in my career, just in life. And I think I totally echo your sentiments of finding, I'm like how I could have done that better or, oh, I can grow here and seeing opportunities to be a better person, professional leader, um, and find, you know, bigger ways that I can find like-minded people to give back and support the causes that I care about. So yeah, I agree with everything that you mentioned. 
Well, thank you so much, Craig, for your time today on Bruin Success. Um, we really appreciate uh, your all you do for UCLA, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And of course, as chair of the UCLA Foundation Board of Directors, along with you know many other UCLA affiliated committees and boards that you sit on, thank you so much for your continued support and service to UCLA. We are so grateful to have alumni like you who have dedicated significant part of their lives to making UCLA a better place for the next generation of Bruins. Thank you for all you do, Craig. Well, thank you. And I, I, I have to end with, I'm, I'm so proud of UCLA and, and I'm so proud because what UCLA does to impact people and move them up you know, the chain and, and uh, it, it, you just watch how it's changed Southern California, California, Los Angeles specifically. We have such a big impact. So very grateful to UCLA. Yeah, absolutely. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Craig Ehrlich of Barty Airtel. You can find more information on Craig in the description of the episode. Follow UCLA Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin Success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. We're back with the Honorable Kevin Brazil of the Superior Court of Los Angeles County. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.